Erev Tov, good evening. We are in our shoe of Agadah. And we are on page, the first page of Masechet Barachot, Bet Amud Aleph. And we've been reading this Mishnah a few times to understand different things from it. Mematai Korin et Shema Baravin, from when do we read Shema in the evening? Last week, if you recall, we spent a lot of time on this topic of why the Mishnah begins with the Mitzvah of Kriyachma. Why do we start with Kriyachma? What's the purpose of that? What's so special about the Mitzvah? I went through maybe seven or eight different answers then. And this brings us to the next part. And I told you already a long time ago in our introductions that part of this shiul and the way in which we study Agadah is we're going to do our best to accept truth from everyone and everywhere and delve into things and disciplines that normally we don't always delve into. And that means if it's pieces from Hasidut or from Kabbalah or from Harav Kuk or from Benish Chai or wherever they come from. And we're here on a quest to uncover meaning inside of the Agadot. And whether or not these meanings resonate with you, the beauty of Agadah is that you don't have an obligation to accept anything in Agadah. Uh, if it enriches your life and it makes sense to you, and if not, then not. It's not halakha. That's precisely what it is. It's Agadah. With that in mind, I wanted to answer a question that I asked you last week. And that was to think about the word me'ematai. Me'ematai, what is possibly a, another reason for why the Mishnah starts with the word me'ematai? It could have said mimatai, it could have said matai, or it could have said korin et shema ba'aravin from until the word me'amatai is used it's a unique word it's a unique way to start the Talmud the Mishnah and so I found in the writings of Rav Zusha of Anapoli have you heard of Rav Zusha of Anapoli? yes yes one of the big Hasidic rabbis I think his official name was Rav Meshulam Zusia of Anapoli and he writes, the word me'ematai comes to tell you in which frame of mind you're supposed to say Shema Yisrael. We're, all, we're about to start the laws of Shema. When do you read Shema in the evening? From when? He wants to understand me'ematai is also here to hint to you how are you supposed to read Shema? With which frame of mind? And he says me'ematai is the word for me'emat, yeah. The Yud standing for Hashem Hashem. In the awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. From the awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Me'ematiyah. Mitoch ema v'fachad ifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That from a place of awe, fear of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, tzarich likrot et You have to read Shema Yisrael. So me'ematai korin et Shema Ba'aravin. From when do you read Shema in the evening? Really, how do you read Shema in the evening? How do you read Shema? Me'ematai. Mitoch ema v'fachad. With seriousness. This is a serious thing you're about to do right now. This is a mitzvah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. To unify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. To declare the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world. That's not a small task. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's a real thing. Am Yisrael lived for this. We even died at times. For Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. When we say the Shema, 
For us, this is the most important phrase that we have in Yahadut. And because of that, we have to say mitoch ema, me'ematai, me'ematia, from the awe of HaKadosh Baruch It's a classic derash. What do I mean by derash? Derasha doesn't require something to be textually accurate per se. So if we were going to tell you now that because the Mishnah uses the word me'ematai, so you have to say Shema from Emma because this is our proof. Would I be able to make such a halachic argument? What's the question of the phrase? Could I tell you that you have a halachic obligation to say Shema with Emma with awe, because the first word of Mishnah, uh, the first word of the first Mishnah of Maseret Berachot is Me'ematai. Could I tell you that? No. No, it's not true. It's not true. Me'amatai doesn't come to tell you a halakha. So in which way is Rav Zushav Anapoli learning out Me'amatai, Me'amatia? How can he do such a thing? With which license does he have? Is that the pshat of the sugya? It's not. So where does it come from? It's the realm... It's the realm of a derasha. I think oftentimes we have this attitude that these Hasidic teachings are perversions of what the text actually says. And by the way, they could be. It could be that everything is a perversion of a text. I'm not telling you now a blanket statement that all Hasidic texts are, are free of problems. But when you come across such a teaching, normally the rabbi who's saying it is not intending to tell you that that's what the verse means. But rather, it's a derasha. A derasha is, I, you know, I'm giving, a, the Ramban explains what is a derasha. A derasha is, the Ramban writes, when the bishop goes in the church on Sunday morning and he gives a speech about the, the Bible, and you like what he says, you like his story, you like the message, you accept it. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. Who cares? It's not oral law from Sinai. This is an idea. We use the text as a springboard to take us somewhere. Derasha is probably what most of the rabbis you've heard of are using. And sometimes it feels that it's not accurate. But so long as the, the derasha doesn't come to pervert something in the Torah, it doesn't come to destroy a halakha, it doesn't come to uproot the meaning of a text, that's where this comes from. By the way, Rav Zush of Anapoli, the Hasidim, didn't invent this concept of using words, plays on words. You find all over the Talmud, all over the Talmud, you say it every day, uh, um, very good thing. Amari Bazar, Tarmide, Hamim, Roshan, 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 Banaik, the Mudadunai, Rabshon, Altika Banaik, Ella Bonaik, don't say Banaik, rather Bonaik. Kola Shone Halakot Beholium, Muftah Loshu Ben Halama, by anybody who learns Halaka every day, he's guaranteed a place in the world to come. Shneman, Halikot Olamno, the verse says, Halikot Olamno, Altika Halikot. Don't read it halichot. That's what it says. Don't read it the way that it says. Rather, read it halachot. What is that? Meaning, why should I not read the text the way it's written? You're telling me, don't read it like this, read it like that. Why? This is a halacha. Who gave them the right to play on words? What is this play on words accomplishing? This play on words is a classic case of a derasha. Our rabbis are, are being doresh, this word. By the way, Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, has a book called Sefer HaIkarim. It's a number of essays, maybe less than 20 essays, if I recall correctly. I don't even own a copy today. It was one of my books that got lost when I moved from Israel to the United States. 
a number of my boxes of books disappeared to somewhere in Korea. Uh, someone got a nice library of Jewish books. One, one of those boxes is uh, missing. It had here the Mamari Karim. In there, the Ramachal writes, and it could be that I, I studied this with you even in the introductions to the Shu. Ramachal says that our Chachamim felt that there was value. It would give Nachat to HaKadosh. It would give Nachat to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to connect the oral law and the written law. Our rabbis received an oral tradition. They know the oral tradition. The oral tradition is not dependent upon a written tradition. But if they could show you that there's some connection between the oral law and the written law, then that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants them to do. So they know that anyone who studies halakha merits to a place in the world to come. And they're trying to show you where can you find this idea alluded to in the, the actual written Torah. Here you can find it. It's, it's only there, may this lesson, the Rasha, even it's a remez, more of a hint. It's just there to show you that the ideas are connected. You can find ideas of the oral law alluded to in the written law. I once saw, if I'm anyways talking to you about Hasidut, I once saw that Rabbi Nachman of Brestov was asked, if all of the things that different rabbis are doresh, they, they say them, the pasuk, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu, or the rabbis of the Talmud were writing these sentences, when Rabbi Udanasi wrote the word Me'ematai, did he know that Rabbi Zusha of Anapoli was going to come and turn it into Me'ematai? Was that it? Did he know that? And he said, of course he didn't know that. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu inspired these men to write words that allowed for people later on in history to add meaning to them. It's, it's, they were great enough that their words allowed for space in which to develop such ideas. And that's where a person like Rav Zushav Anapoli comes to this, So how do you approach Kirachma? With awe of Hashem. It's not something you say lightly. In fact, there are halachot connected to this. Halachot that you should say Kirachma out loud. Halachot that say that, if you recall later on in Masechet Berachot, positions of laying in your bed in which you're not allowed to say Kirachma. Anybody remember? Very good. You can't lay on your back and say Kirachma. What are you? It's an arrogant thing to do. Uh, so they mentioned one Chacham. <laughs> one of the rabbis, he would lay on his back. They say, why did he lay on his back? Rabbi Yosef, do you remember the answer? You remember Baruch? Okay, so maybe he was, uh, someone who's ill and can't move. Okay, that's similar. They said he was also unable to move because he was so large that he had a hard time turning over onto his side to say Kirachma. That was one of the answers Chachamim gave over there. Uh, so obviously there are exceptions to this rule. Somebody said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a rude joke, but somebody once said that you know when you've eaten too much food on Yom Tov is when you turn over and then your stomach follows you two minutes later. It's a, it's a problem that, that exists and here, here this, this, uh, this rabbi clearly had that problem, but you don't learn a halakha from there. Rather the halakha says that you should have the proper frame of mind when you pray to especially when you read something biblical like Kiryat uh, And because of that we come to this idea that it's alluded to already in the first word of the Mishnah. There's a... Yes. From an oral text. Is there a mechanism of how that works, or is that just a, uh, is it a little looser when it comes to Agadah? That's a good question. So Rabbi Yosef brings up a very good point. That is, derasha, when we use the word traditionally, classically, as a derasha, a derasha is a rabbinic 
give me English word for derasha. Yeah, homiletical. The rabbis are expounding on a verse. They're they're sharing an idea on a verse, a written verse in the in the Tanakh. Whereas here, this is a derasha that's on on a rabbinic text, which is oral already. So obviously, I'm I'm borrowing the term derasha for here. It's a borrowed type of derasha. That's a very good point. And yes, I think the mechanism is that much looser because in origin these words are not divine. So there's that much more leeway uh, to do things with the text that otherwise you couldn't. And we're going to see now a different variation of that as well. There's a piece on the word tirumatan, when the Kohanim come to enter to eat their tiruma, written by the Gaon of Vilna. There's a book called Biwe Agadot, uh, commentary on the Agadah of the Gaon of Vilna. And on that Bilei Agadot, which is very cryptic, like most of the things, that, whenever someone says, you know, the Vilna Gaon said X, Y, or Z. Anybody who can understand what the Vilna Gaon said, I give him a trophy. Because anytime I look at what the Gaon of Vilna said, it doesn't say anything. And most of the time, and I'm saying this respectfully, most of the time the Gaon of Vilna wrote just in uh, shorthand, meaning he would say, oh, you want, he would say, this, uh, look at the Gemara Yerushalmi here, look at the Talmud Psachim over there, look at this, look at that, and that's all he says. And you're supposed to try to figure out from the sources he quotes, what he, was he asking a question? Was he giving a statement? Was there a question and an answer? And so whoever is really able to understand things like that, I, it's not me. Uh, but here, I was very excited because this book, Bilei Agadot, has a commentary on the book written by none other than Rabbi Avraham, the son of the Gona Vilna. So I went to the commentary of the Gona Vilna on this Mishnah, and it made as much sense to me as any of the other writings that Gona Vilna wrote. So I said, wow, but look, the son wrote a long commentary explaining, meaning this means, and I was reading the commentary, I've been reading the commentary and reading the commentary, and I can paraphrase for you exactly what it says, like a parakeet can or a parrot can, but I don't actually understand anything it says. So in my notes I wrote, the Gona Vilna has a Kabbalistic explanation for why the word Tehumatan is used, but I don't understand anything of it, you're more than welcome to look it up for yourself. Now he goes off this word, Tehumat Nun, that Tehumatan is the Tehumat of 50, and 50 corresponds to the 49 gates of Tuma minus one, and that if you take certain names of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and you add them up, you reach 98, and whatever else happens, but I, I don't, that doesn't mean much to me, so it doesn't mean much to you, uh, but if any of you are Mekubalim and you want to look up something interesting on the word Tehumatan, I highly recommend that you look at the Gona Vilna's Biwei Agadot over here. Carrying on, I wanted to share with you some of the Torah of the Ben Ishchai. Uh, the Ben Ishchai has a special place in my heart, always. And his type of Kabbalah is also above my pay grade, or just, it's not something that I spent most of my life dabbling in. But in the realm of Sephardic Kabbalah, more of it makes sense to me than other uh, Kabbalah, meaning I don't understand everything. I don't purport to be a mikubal, nor did I, nor did I, uh, nor do I, I believe that necessarily anyone else has to be. But the phrases, the terms, the ideas are—they recur in many of the works of Chachamim Svarad, and because of that, over the years of learning their Torah, I've gained familiarity with some of these concepts. Uh, so, if you have the printout that I sent you last week, it's going to be in the Google Classroom under Materials. It was also in last week's Zoom assignment. It's called Ben Yehoyada uh, on this Mishnah. So, if you want to pull that up. Um, the front page of it should look like this. And we're going to be reading it inside, so you're, you're going to want to have it in front of you. 
Have it? Yes? Okay. If you don't find it in the material section of the, if you go to Google Classroom, you click on Classwork, it should be there uh, in the material section. Uh, but if not, you're going to find it attached to last week's Zoom link. So go to the main feed in the classroom. Yeah, Benny Hoyada. Very good, that book. Okay, wonderful. You can go to the main feed and you'll find it. If you scroll down the main feed, look for last week's Zoom invitation. Click there, you'll find it at the bottom. There's an attachment over there, and that's this Benny Hoyada. The Benish Chai after last time. Okay, here, let's, let's read a little bit. The second paragraph on this page. In my notes, I didn't have a chance to write this down, so I'll have to elaborate on it a different time. Rabbeinu Yehuda Nasi starts off the Mishnah Me'ematai Umakshim, and they ask, You should have said Ematai, not Me'ematai. V'amarti and I, the Benish Chai say, says, I am Yehuda, the author of the Mishneh Torah Tia, the review of the Torah of Hashem. And that spells out the acronym of Ematai with two mems, so you would need to say Ematai. Is this a solid fact? No. It's a remez. Here it's giving you a rashetevot. It's Ematai spells out, I am Yehuda, the author of the review book of Hashem's Torah. Let's skip this one about the, the, the dates for a different time. If you go to the last three lines, the reason why Rabbi Udanasi added a letter mem to the word ematai from when you reach my, he said me ematai, because he wanted that in the beginning of the Torah Shabbat Peh there should be the word. Aleph Mem Yud, my mother. Ki Torah Shabal Peh nikret Em, v'shebikhtav Av. The Torah Shabal Peh is called the mother, and the Torah Shebikhtav, the written Torah is called the father. Really, I didn't prepare this properly, so don't, don't get stuck on this right now. Let's look at the next piece. The next piece is more uh, relevant to what we're speaking about now. I'm just going to add this here to the conversation, not to give a, a biased approach, but... You know, back and forth, we hear conversations about whether the Mekubalim made this stuff all up, and this is all a fabrication of their imagination, whatever else happens. And I think that it's really easy to dismiss things that we don't like, or that, that definitely challenge the things that we know to be true, um, by just saying that they're wrong. I think that it takes another person to look at this and say, the Mekubalim have a very large, a very large, uh, um, library of materials that all connect to each other, that are all interwoven. Things that mean one thing here mean the same thing over there. It's, it's hard to fabricate such an elaborate system. It doesn't mean it's impossible. But it means that when you read things like this, or people like to say that there are mikubalim uh, and then there are rationalists. I think that part of that assumes that mikubalim are not rational. Uh, and really rational is something that you understand. And if you're a Mekubal and these things make sense to you, then perhaps this is very rational to you. It's very rational that Mem means this and Mem means that. And we're, but if you're not a Mekubal, then of course this is irrational to you. But I think that when we say the Mekubalim are the, they're not the rational Torah of the world. Uh, now it could be that they're defining rationalists a little different, but I just, I'm sharing that 
these type of things, when you read in the Benishchai, he's consistent elsewhere. If you follow up in his commentaries in other places, then these are consistent themes that come up in the same way. And Davbet Amud Aleph, so Benishchai writes, from when you reach man in the evening. So you see here again the Nosach is Ba'arvit, not Ba'aravin. It appears to me with Hashem's help. Mashiach Eliyahu, the words Mashiach, which is Gematria 358. And the word Eliyahu, Eliyahu is an easy one. Tell me the Gematria of Eliyahu. Aleph. What's the Gematria of Aleph? Nobody knows the Gematria of Aleph? <laughs> One, very good. Lamed. 30. 30. Uh, Rabbi said, just keep your microphone on, on, uh, unmuted, that way you'll answer. Yud is 10, Hey is 5, Vav is 6, the Gematria is 52. If you add Eliyahu and Mashiach together, you come out to the number 410. 410 is the same numerical value as Shema. So Mashiach and Eliyahu come to do with Shema. Now remember, I told you already last week to start thinking about this Mishnah differently than what it actually says. To think of the theme of Erev. Erev, in almost every spiritual part of our tradition, nighttime always corresponds to Galut, to our exile. Erev, almost, almost all across the chart. Erev is connected to exile. So that means if we're doing an action in exile, Be'arvit, Me'amatai korin et shema Be'arvit. So we're doing something in exile. What are we doing in exile? We're reading Shema. Shema must be some tool to unlocking the redemption of Am Yisrael. And like I told you the other week, right now you have to be the Ben Ishchai. All the other things you believe or don't believe, put them on the side. Today we're reading as if we're the Ben Ishchai. So Shema and Mashiach and Eliyahu are the same gematria, and therefore, says the Ben Ishchai, From when do we not read them, but from when do we call them? Lavo, Ba'arvit. From when do we call, at which point can we say Mashiach, Eliyahu, come? Come, it's time for you to come. Ba'arvit, while we're in exile. Hu elef hashishi, that's the 6,000th year, hanikra et erev, which is called the time of the evening. Meaning, at which point can we call out to Mashiach, come, it's time for you, Eliyahu and to come. It's the end of our exile. V'amar, and he answers, what's the answer to that question? Misha'ash ha'kohanim, from when the kohanim enter to eat their tewumah. Who are kohanim? These are the Torah scholars. Torah scholars which are called Kohanim. When the Kohanim, who are the Torah scholars, enter the Bet Midrash to eat their Tirumah, what is the Tirumah of a Torah scholar? Tumatan is Torah Shebaal the oral law. Why not the written law? Why is the oral law their food? Why not the written law? There must be a reason for that. And the answer cannot be that, oh, because in Yeshiva they don't teach Tanakh. That's not a good answer. Because here, here we're not talking about those kind of Talmidei Chachamim. Rather, 
שנקראת על שמם, because our rabbis already taught us in the Talmud that the oral law is their Torah. כמו שאמרו חכמינו זכרנו לברכה על פסוק, like our rabbis say about the פסוק and תהילים, this is in the first chapter of תהילים. The first chapter of תהילים is one of my favorite chapters of תהילים. הלוואי on us that we should live up to even the first few sentences of the first chapter of תהילים. כי אם בתורת אדוני חפצו, ובתורתו יהגה יומם ולילה. Because the Torah of Hashem was his desire. And in his Torah, he spent day and night, he toiled day and night. What does that have to do with Tamanei Chamim? And the oral law. So if you look over here, I wrote it down for you in the Gemara. If you look in Masechet Kiddushin, the Gemara is dealing with the question, so if you want to find it yourself, it's Kiddushin, Lamed Bet Amud Bet, page 32b. The Gemara is dealing with the question of, can a Torah scholar forego his honor? Can a Tamicham say, you know, don't respect me, you don't have to stand up for me, you don't have to, I mean, do I have the right to forego my honor as Tamicham? That's what the Gemara is dealing with. And the Gemara mentions this verse and says, yes, he does. Yes, he does. But you say the Torah belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? No, the Torah belongs to a Torah scholar. How do you know that, says the Gemara? Hacha Torah Dilehi, is the Torah his Torah? Amar says Rava, in, yes it is. Torah Dilehi, it's his Torah. Dikhtiv, in his Torah, meaning the Tamid Chacham's Torah he's learning all day and all night. Says Rashi, what is going on here? Says Rashi, B'tchilahi nikret Torah Hashem. Originally the Torah is the Torah of Hashem. What does it say? Ki'im b'torat Adonai chefzo. That's what the verse says, right? If the Torah of Hashem is his desire. And then what happens? Once I begin to engage with the Torah, once I begin to learn the Torah, says Rashi, from the moment where you begin to learn the Torah, you know the Torah, it becomes your Torah. And that's why the verse says first, Torah Hashem, and then it says Torah Because the Torah only belongs to Hashem when you leave it on the shelf. But once you become engaged with the Torah, all the Torah that you study becomes your Torah. And because it becomes your Torah, suggests Rava, that you have the right to forego your honor of the Torah that's, that's yours. Meaning, you have the right to do that because it's your Torah. You have ownership over that Torah. Says the Ben Ishchai. And this is the reason we say, This is the oral law that Tamidei Chamim learn in. Now, if you continue here in the Ben Ishchai, the Ben Ishchai says, And that's why the Mishnah uses the word in their Tiruma. It doesn't say in, they come to eat Tiruma. We, we've asked this question before in Pshat. Why according to the Pshat does it say Tiruma Tan and not Tiruma? But now he's saying here, Api the Ben Ishchai. The Ben Ishchai says, it comes to say Tiruma Tan, meaning they've now acquired ownership over this Tiruma, over this oral law. And because of that, it's not referred to just as blank Torah Shabbat Peh, rather it's Tiruma Tan, it's their Torah Shabbat Peh. Viyadua, and it's known, Right? You know this, of course. That the study of the oral law of Torah Shabal Peh brings about the redemption, Mashiach and Eliyahu, remember we mentioned them earlier? Brings that about sooner than the Esek, the study of the oral law, uh, the written law. Why? Where do our rabbis learn that from? It's a unique passage of the Talmud. And look what the Ben Ishchai is doing. He's weaving together different Agadot that are scattered throughout the Talmud to make a statement here. 
וכמו שאמרו חכמינו זכרם לברכה על הפסוק, like our rabbis say in the פסוק in הושע. So if you want to find this פסוק, you look in הושע, chapter 8, פסוק 10. The Navi says, גם כי יתנו בגויים, אתה אקבצם, ויחלו מעט ממסע מלך שרים. Do I have a Tanakh in front of you? Melech Vesarim or Melech Sarim? Did I forget to write down above? Anyone have Hoshea in front of you? Okay. I wrote right, Melech Sarim. Okay, so what does the Pasuk mean, literally? The Pasuk means, Gam ki itenu bagoim. The word itenu, anyone know what the word itenu means? Doesn't mean give. I mean, give, yes, but what kind of giving? There's a word in the Torah called etanan. Do you remember what an etanan is? Allah. What? Allah. For the rest, so when we, someone, not we, when someone pays a prostitute, that's called etnan zona, the giving of this uh, retribution. To, so what are the Jews doing with, with etnan? If you look in the commentaries here, they're explaining to the Jewish people, even if the Jewish people are in Galut, and they're busy trying to give gifts to all the nations of the world that they should love them, like what um, the Jews do today. The Jews miskanim, they look like, they look so pathetic. They're groveling at the feet of every nation that will just look in their direction. It's, it's, a, it's a very scary thing for me to watch Am Yisrael and, and how pathetic they look in front of the rest of the world. Nobody else runs around begging for people to accept them and want them and love them. Only Am Yisrael wastes their time in such things. So even if the Jews, Gam ki goim, Ata kabetzem, I will gather them. Vayechelu ma'at sarim. And the Navi tells us they will begin to decrease because of the burden of kings and ministers over them. The non-Jewish oppression will destroy the Jewish people because they'll be, they'll be subject to the law of these people, to the rule of these people. The, the Gemara understands this verse in the Dirashah completely different than what it says right here. What does the Gemara say? I wrote it down here. The Gemara in Bava Batra writes the following words. אמר אולה, אולה says, פסוק זה בלשון ארמית נאמר, this פסוק is written in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, meaning, don't read this פסוק in Hebrew, read this פסוק in Aramaic. What is the word, גם כי יתנו בגויים, יתנו doesn't mean to give gifts of bribes to the non-Jews, rather, נאמר, יתנו כולו, אתה קבצם. If the Jewish people תנו, if they learn the whole Mishnah, then I will ingather them from the exiles right now. And if a few of them, not if they now become, a, they become few because of oppression, if a few of them study, what will happen to them? Then they will be able to overcome even the oppression of kings and officers, ministers that overrule them. Our Chachamim tell us in Masechet Bavabatra, that the study of the Mishnah, the study of the oral law, gives the Jewish people power. It gives them strength. It gives them the key to the redemption more than the written law does for them. 
based on this dirasha, and by the way, if you want to look at a fascinating piece, if you want to continue this line of thought that I can't do today, that there's a book written by the Chida, Rabbi Chaim Yosef David Azulai. The Chida wrote a book. It's called Chomat Anach. Chomat Anach. You familiar with this book? Anyone have this book? No. You know what Chomat Anach means, literally? It's like the, the straight wall. Anach is like a yatsif. It's a straight. Yeah? Why did you call it Chomat Anach? Chomat Anach. If you look, Anach, Aleph, stands for Oraita. Torah. Nun for Nevi'im. Chaf for Ketubim. Why didn't he call it Chomat Tanach? Why Anach? Why change the Aleph Taf? I heard from Rabbi Yitzchak Shuraki in Yerushalayim when I studied with him in uh, 2017. He shared something beautiful. He said, if you look where the Chida printed this book, this is the only book of the Chida that he printed in the city of Pisa. All of his other books are printed in different places, Livorno, other places, but here he printed it in Pisa. And he says here, he was almost mocking the leaning tower of Pisa. Here is a leaning tower, and his book of the Torah is the straight up wall. It's a, it's a, a Sephardic pun of the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, fashion. The Chida names his book Chomat on the upright wall because of the leaning tower of Pisa. So it was, it was almost funny. You find the book Chomat Anach, the straight wall, printed in Pisa with the leaning tower. That was the, where the Chida uh, gets us from. That's what Rabbi Tzach Shuraki shared with me. If you want to look on this Pashsuk in Hoshea, Chomat Anach over there, Chida goes on a, a long tangent discussing this concept of learning oral law and bringing about the redemption. I can't take that tangent with you right now, but I'm intentionally sending you other places. And if you have the Hebrew skills to be able to look up those sources, they'll enlighten whatever it is. They'll, they'll help you understand deeper the things that we're studying together right now. So the Benish Chai continues. So the study of the Mishnah brings about the redemption. And that's why we started this whole Mishnah with Me'ematai Korin et Shema Ba'aravin. Shema is the gematria of Mashiach and Eliyahu. Mashiach and Eliyahu, when will they come? When the time when the Kohanim go study, eat their Tilmah. When the Kohanim eat their Tilmah, that means when the Torah scholars go study the oral law. What happens when the Torah scholars study the oral law? That is when Mashiach and Eliyahu will come, as our Chachamim taught us, that if we study the Mishnah, now HaKadosh Baruch Hu will gather us from among the exiles. And this is the Remez. This is what's alluded to inside of this uh, first uh, Mishnah inside of Masechim Berchot. What do you think? Study Mishnah. Very good. Study the Mishnah. This is a classic case of the Ben Ishchai taking, extracting an idea from a text. And he's going to do this throughout the Talmud as we study together with him. Let's look at the next idea that he gave us. And I think we might only have time for this much tonight. Now the Ben Ishchai wants to understand what is going on here with the three different opinions of when can you say Shema, until when. When the Benish Chai looks at this sugya, he's not looking at it as a halachic argument, a debate, because right now he's not dealing with halacha. Right now he's understanding that this whole Mishnah, 
on a spiritual plane is coming to deal with galut, exile, and how we get out of a galut, how we bring Eliyahu and Avi and Mashiach. How do we do that? By Shema. Shema by Torah scholars, studying oral law. He's established this month, this, this much. So if that's what the Mishnah is talking about, according to the Ben Ishchai's understanding, then it cannot be that the argument between the Chachamim has anything to do with the time of night. But rather, it has to do with things that will happen in the exile that will ultimately unlock the redemption. And each one of these opinions in the Mishnah comes to refer to a different part of the redemption process. So, bear with me. The first opinion is the opinion of Rabbi Yezir. What does Rabbi Yezir say? By the way, last week I told you to look up the relationship between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabban Gamliel. What did you find out? Anyone have a Steinzaltz Talmud? Yeah, David, what does it say in your front page? The first page of the Mishnah, the top right corner. Does it say there the relationship between him and Rabbi Eliezer? Maybe two paragraphs down. It's on the top right. There's a biographical sketch of Rabban Gamliel. Yep. Yeah. Uh, trying to find it. Yeah, here we go. Well, I don't know if I'm reading the right part, but it says under Rabban Gamliel's leadership, Gamliel became an important spiritual center. The greatest of the sages gathered around him, including Rabbi Eliezer, Rabban Gamliel's brother-in-law. Oh, very good. Rabbi Eliezer is the brother-in-law of Rabban Gamliel. And this is, these are two Chachamim, they're not just related to each other, but are busy rebuilding the Torah in Yavne, which we'll talk about maybe at a different point. In Yavne, this was the whole point of Rabban Gamliel, was, what was he doing there in Yavne? Uh, but the fact that these, they were related. So it makes sense that the Chachamim are arguing with everyone else, and who are the two people arguing between each other? Those are two brother-in-laws. They have a different opinion in Halakha about what to do, and that's why it's so notable to mention them. And if you recall last week, we said that the reason why Rabbi Uda Nasi wanted to mention the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer is because not only is he the brother-in-law of Rabban Gamliel, he's also the descendant of... of... Moshe Rabbeinu, very good, of Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the descendant of Moshe Rabbeinu. And here's something very unique. What you find in this Mishnah, this is now me saying, I don't see this anywhere else, so this is me speaking. I should add it to my own notes. If I said it, it's in my notes. Uh, that uh, the Mishnah essentially begins with the words of three people. The words of the descendants of Moshe Rabbeinu, so that's Rabbi Eliezer. The descendants of David HaMelech, the kingdom of the Jewish people, of Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda. That's Rabban Gamliel, he's a Nasi. And then the Chachamim, the Chachamim are, you're not a descendant of anybody per se. You're not born to a royal family, and you're not born to the family of Moshe Rabbeinu, but you still are who Halakha follows. It's everyone who chooses to join this rank of Chachamim. Anybody can become a Chacham. You can become a Chacham. I can become a Chacham. We all become Chachamim. Ultimately, the Halakha is always like the Chachamim against anybody who argues with them, regardless of their greatness. And I think this message, let me, let, me, let, me, let me play with it a little bit in the coming weeks, and who knows, maybe I'll get back to it. Hashem to talk about that. But these, this is why it was important for me to understand who Rabban Gamliel is, who Rabbi Eliezer is, and what the relationship was between them. Back to our Ben so the first opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, everyone, you can say Shema from the three stars until Ad Sof HaShmoah Rishonah, until the end of the first watch. And we ask ourselves this question, why does, 
Why not just give us a halachic time? Four hours, three hours, two, why, why until the end of the first watch? The Benishchai understands the word Ashmua, the watch, which we mentioned is the shifting of angels. The angels in heaven that shift, they take shifts, and this is now a changing of the guards. The Benishchai says there's something else going on here. Ashmua refers to something else. Let's read it together. This is what it means when it says until the end of the first watch. Remez it alludes to the first mitzvah in the Torah. What's the first mitzvah in the Torah? Very good. It's the mitzvah of pro-urvu, be fruitful and multiply. What on earth does the first watch have to do with being fruitful and multiplying? Because being fruitful and multiplying, having children, brings about the redemption. It brings about the geulah. Says who? Shamura Botenuzal, our rabbi say in Masechet Yevamot, En Ben David Ba, Ben David, who's Ben David? Mashiach. He does not come until when? Ad Shichlu Neshamot Shebaguf. Shichlu. Until the, the, the Neshamot, all of the souls that are in the body will come out, Mashiach will not come. What does that mean? Rashi here. I wrote down Rashi. If you want to see something beautiful, how the Ben Yishchai interconnects, look at the Ben Yishchai not here in Berachot. Look at the Ben Yehoyada in Masechet, uh, according to Yivamot. Look at the Ben Yishchai in Masechet Yivamot. If you don't have the Ben Yishchai in Yivamot, you could just click on this pasuk in Safaria, on this verse in Safaria, and it will take you to the Ben Yehoyada. They have the whole text of the Ben Yehoyada over there. Uh, Rashi writes, Goof. What does it mean until all the souls leave the body, the Goof? Pargod shechotzetz ben shechinad amalachim. This is some type of curtain, barrier, that divides between the Shekhinah and the angels. That is the place where all of the souls that were created from the six days of creation hang out. In this middle area, but no man's land, between the Shekhinah and the angels. And they ultimately will be born into bodies that have not yet been created. So says Rashi, what does it mean? That there are all these souls that are waiting in limbo, and until these souls are born, the Geulah can't come. And the Jewish people who involve themselves in Peruvu are unlocking these Neshamot from coming down and bringing them into the world. And it's interesting, if you want to look, the continuation of the Gemara says that those who don't involve themselves in Priya are as if they're murdering people. And the Ben Yishchai deals with the word murder there, dam, blood, and it has to do with what happens when you take away Neshamot. I'm not sticking my head in that, not, with the, not anywhere near that. But the Ben Yishchai does talk about this over there. So there have to be souls that are born in order for the redemption to come. So what does the Ben Yishchai say now? Back in the Ben Yishchai. Four lines down in that paragraph. And the mitzvot are called the mishmeret. Mitzvot are called a safeguard. Why? This is the famous where the rabbis have the permission to do what? What do the rabbis learn from this pasuk? 
Very good. They have the permission to make f- fences and safeguards in the Kedosh Baruch Make a fence for my Torah. This is really where this comes from. Gam hem shomrim et Yisrael. They also not just protect, you don't just protect the Torah, but the mitzvot protect the Jewish people. Kemo shamor b'denuzah. Like our rabbis tell us in Masechet Shabbat on page 130, the Gemara says something beautiful. I wrote down the actual language of the Gemara, not the paraphrasing of the Ben Yishchai. The Gemara says, Ma yonah zol kanfeha Meginot aleha, that just like this dove, it's, there's a whole story there about Elisha, the prophet, and you can look over there what the Gemara is talking about. But what this dove, just like this dove's wings protected, af Yisrael mitzvot meginot alehen. So to the Jewish people, their wings, meaning their mitzvot, protect them. What is the difference between a dove and any other bird in terms of its wings? Meaning all birds, how do, how do birds protect themselves with their wings? They fly away, correct? They fly away. Yes? Rashi here says something beautiful. He says, She doesn't, the dove, what does she do? She doesn't fight off people with her beak. She doesn't use her beak. I have uh, birds at home. And those birds, if you get them in the wrong mood and you put your hand too close to their face, you better believe that their beak and your hand are going to be very good friends with each other. They bite hard. The dove doesn't bite. The dove, it fights away with its wings. It's a unique bird. And I don't know, I don't have doves, so I can't tell you if it's accurate or not. But the understanding here, the understanding is that the doves use its wings to protect itself, not its beak. And the Jewish people, we use our mitzvot. Our mitzvot are what protect over us. And therefore, says the Benishchai, that these mitzvot protect us. So the mitzvah of Puruvu is a mishmeret. Yeah, the mitzvah being fruitful, multiplying, is our protection. And not only does it protect us, but it also brings about our redemption. and it says, Ad Sof, until the end of this mitzvah. What do you mean until the end of the mitzvah of being fruitful and multiply? Anyone familiar with the halachot? How many children do you need to have in order to fulfill the mitzvah of being fruitful and multiply? One one male, one female. Now there's an argument in the Gemara if it's two and two, if it's two and one, if it's all kinds of different things. The Gemara has a, a debate over there. It seems like the halakha comes down to one boy, one girl, and then the rest of the children that one has is from a different mitzvah of, of not, okay, a different conversation. Cool, what different conversation. So ad sof, meaning if you fulfill this mitzvah properly until the end, amar ad sof, you fulfill the mitzvah completely. That you should have both boys and girls, and it's not enough just to have boys or girls, you have to have both to do this mitzvah properly. So when will the redemption come? Now read this like the Ben Ishchai. Rabbi Eliezer says the redemption will come when the Jewish people remove all of the souls from heaven and put them in bodies into this world. And how will that happen? Through the mitzvah of Pu'uvu. That's the first mitzvah in the Torah. The mitzvah, mitzvot are called ashmurot, or mishmeret. The end of the first watch, don't read first watch, rather the first protection, the first guard, the changing of the guards. And therefore, Rabbi Eliezer is really not talking at all about the time of day. He's giving you a solution to ending exile and beginning redemption, and it has to do with fulfilling the mitzvah of being fruitful and multiplying properly. Chavah, you didn't fall out of your chairs 
This is this is exactly how Agadah studied, exactly like this. I have a question. Oh, go ahead. No, that's all right. Um, just um, this is kind of like having all your eggs in one basket, or uh, having all the guests at a chatana in the same room. It, it, it also brings up questions of Gilgulim because um, if people are always dying and going off to the next world, how do you get everybody back? Here in the room to bring the Arab Mashiach. Okay, so so let's say that now, Zev, you have I don't have security clearance for this, uh, but what I what <laughs> what I will say, and if our parents heard me talking about this, he'd smack me in the face for real. It would, uh, but but I'll tell you what my thoughts on this, and my thoughts are just thoughts, uh, and that is that it's the. It's the giving of birth of these neshamot, not the maintaining them on this earth. It's, it's this process. Now, in the context of Gilgulim, that's a really good question. I'm not an expert in Gilgulim either. What I can say is from what I've heard from those who like to talk all day long about Gilgulim, is that they mention, they mention that there's no such thing as new souls. All souls are recycled souls. If that's the case, then according to this Talmudic teaching, the redemption should already be here. Yes, because if there's nothing else waiting up there, then what are we waiting for? And so I don't know what to tell you. Maybe there's one neshama left in limbo, keeping the Mekubalim happy while keeping the Talmud happy. I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm certain, I'm certain, and I, I, that if you would look up the books that debated the concept of Gilgul, and believe me, there are many books that debated this concept very, very harshly, uh, I'm sure that this, this must be a, something that comes up in the conversation. Must be. Maybe the maybe the Agada holds like the Chachamim, and it's not like Rabbi Eliezer. Oh, maybe <laughs> very very good. If, if I'm not, you could even say that this is according to Rabbi Eliezer, and according to Chachamim, it's different. Thank you, Rabbi Yosef. Making he may see Tamidah Chachamim, Marbim Shalom Ba'olam. The Torah scholars then make peace on earth. And let's do. Reuven had a question too, right? Reuven, you had a question. Or David, one of you. Well, I had a comment, but yes. I, I don't want to. I'm not going to be distracted. Ask. Okay. Well, just um, kind of building a little bit on, uh, on Zev's comment uh, in kind of an offhand way that I was thinking as you were teaching that, not to be heretical here, but it, it seems that whereas we would normally think of the Agata as fleshing out the Halakha, it, it seems to me that the Halakha is really the skeleton of the Agata. It's like the, the concepts are really the driving force, and the halakha is what solidifies it. Right, so that's actually a nice point. And if you recall, we discussed this in the introduction of Rabbi Chaim David Halevi. So if you weren't there for those classes, look back in our playlist, and you'll see that there's a number of classes where we address the relationship between halakha and agadah. Rabbi Chaim David Halevi is adamant that these two disciplines cannot be studied as a cause and effect of each other. It can't be that from agadah is born halakha. Can't be. And he mentions though that as much as you could study them side by side and maybe complement each other with them, that you we wouldn't say that a halakha came out of an agadic concept. And I think that that's still what you're saying is true, meaning studying halakha on its own without the thought process of our rabbis that were teaching the same, the same in the same laws of Kirachma, they're clearly teaching you other messages too. That if you're only picking up on on what you have to do in terms of, of dry textual details and not on anything else, then you've missed much of the message. And that's why the Rambam refers to this as it's, it's a locked book. This is 
to extract these ideas, they're written in code. Nobody on their own would be able to come up with this kind of thing. And, and this is, and even if the Ben Ishchai, this is not the right way to read it. There's another way to read it. Let's pretend. But even the ability to read it this way requires a tremendous amount, not just of knowledge, broad knowledge, but of the ability to then bring it back together and, and fit it into the words as they're being said here. And that's, that's what Agadah does. Agadah would complement Halakha, and I think that you're correct in saying that. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll start reviewing that. I just began to actually, so I don't think I'll get that. Of course. And it's, so let's let's just finish this mission. I want to finish this part of the Ben Ishchai for today. Then next week we'll do a few other pieces. But the three Geulah concepts. So we have Erev, we have Shema, we have Mashiach and Eliyahu. We've now dealt with Rabbi Eliezer's opinion of you say Shema Israel until when? Until uh, the end of the first mitzvah being completed. So the end of the first, not first Ashmorit mitzvah being completed, which is to have children, both male and female. The Ben Ishchai has a beautiful piece in which he harshly critiques those people, criticizes more correctly, those people who are upset at having daughters and not sons. And, you know, especially in, in the Middle East, there's this attitude of, and by the way, I don't think that in the Europe it wasn't like that either. You want a king, you want a prince, you want to make sure someone takes over the family business in a world where a woman didn't work. Sons had a certain type of snob factor to them. The Ben used to mock people like this. And he, he said, one of the things that Ben Ishchai writes is when anyone who's had children and those children grew up and knows who abandons them first are their sons. They always run after their daughters. And only the daughters, they come back and take care of the parents. And only a person who's looking to invest in a short-term investment would invest in sons and realize that a daughter is that much greater. Uh, but he also, he, he struggled with the fact that people made Shalom Bayit issues out of this. The Peleuets discussed this too. Men who would hear that their wives gave birth to a woman, and to a daughter, and they didn't want to come home anymore. They, they were upset. Eventually, what are you, fools? First off, everybody is in this. You did all the people in the world. But what do you think? Your wife went to the grocery store and he, she picked up one child and not the other. Like, what do you think happened over there? She, she just, why are you fighting with her about such things? And they're good things. Here, the Ben Ishchai is telling you there's a, even a Mashiach concept here. You, even if you wanted to just have boys or just have girls, you have to have both. The world needs both. Both of these complement each other to bring about the redemption. I think much of what we're seeing in the world. We've lived in a world already for many, many, many centuries where men were the world. The world, everything, and the things that you read about and hear about, the, I don't want to borrow modern terms. So there are modern terms that are used in political context. I don't want to use them. But the abuse of women by men is very real. It was very real and it still is very real. The answer back to that is not then the abuse of men by women. That's just throwing the balance in a different direction. It's, we're going to have a different problem spiritually too. I'm not talking here socially and politically. I'm talking about a balance that we're going to lose in, in the realm of Torah mitzvot also. The Chachamim always viewed this as something that has to happen in tandem. There have to be two. There has to be both male and female. These are necessary elements that exist in the world. And there's no war between them. There's no, these are, these are elements that are, are, they both need each other and they complement each other in ways that only the the creator of the world could have thought up of how beautiful they work out. So the opinion of Chachamim. Our rabbis say until midnight. What does Chatzot mean? Here, let's find here. If you want to look in the book of look in Ishayahu, chapter 9-6.
if you have a Tanakh, you'll see it better. It says, the Ashkenazim read this on the Haftarah Vito on, on Shabbat Vito. They read this uh, here. This pasuk means in English, Upon the one with the greatness and dominion and the boundless peace that will prevail on the throne of David and his kingdom to establish it and sustain it through justice and righteousness from now to eternity, the zealousness of Hashem, master of legions, will accomplish this. So here we're talking about the redemption. This pasuk is directly connected to the redemption, to the house of David being restored, to the Jewish people seeing the salvation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you look in the, in the Navi, there's a tradition here to write the word to write it with a, a final mem in the middle of the word. So instead of writing it's lamed mem sofit, final mem, resh bet hey. And it's a random place to put a final letter inside of a, uh, we don't have a final letter comes at the end of a word. So rather what happens here, the Benish Chai says that there's a Kabbalistic concept. The mem, it's a, we don't call it a final mem in, in Talmudic Hebrew. We call it a, a, a closed mem and an open mem. This closed mem, what does a closed mem look like? It's a square. Yeah? It's a square. What happens to it? Eventually, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will split this mem into two halves. What happens when you have two halves of a mem? What letters are you left with? A dalid? And a dalit, I don't know how to do it. And a dalit. You have two dalits. What are these dalits? They're the two dalits of the name David. What is David? David means dalit ve dalit. A one dalit and dalit. By the way, there are some who theorize, we always talk about Magen David, the star of David. Uh, we know that David Hamelech, at least according to the Midrash, had a different uh, shield. He had a, a different picture on his shield. There wasn't a Star of David. And there are many people who try to prove to you how old the Star of David is. Really, it's interesting how that came to us as a Jewish people and how that became the symbol of the Jewish people when really we're not so certain. But they, they theorize Magen David doesn't mean the shield of David because the Midrash says he had a menorah on his shield. Rather, Magen David is Magen Delta Videlta. It's the Magen of a, of a triangle and a triangle. And that's what shape a Magen David is. It's a triangle on top of a triangle. And David is just Delta Videlta. So here he's saying David is Dalit Videlta. That Mem will be split. And that's what it says in Mishneh, that how praiseworthy are those people who diligently arrive in my doorstep of the house of Hashem every day. Daltotai, my doors, also is Daltotai, my Dalids. So those who study Torah are those who come to Hashem's house. They ultimately will be those who split whatever this means in Kabbalah. That final mem into two dalids that will bring about the redemption of David HaMelech. And that is all done by those who come to HaKadosh Baruch house like the book of Mishleh says. And here what you see is this is a different opinion. Chachamim say you have until Chatzot. What's going to bring about the redemption? This cutting of Chatzot. Chatzot means half. Right? To half the letter Mem into two Dalids, and this will bring about the redemption of David Amalek, the son of David. And then there's a third opinion. The third opinion is that of Rabban Gamliel. What does Rabban Gamliel say? Rabban Gamliel says, Ad Amud 
until the pillar of dawn rises. He intends to teach us until the Jewish people who are referred to as dawn, we're called Ayelet the, Hashachar, the, the uh, English. My language is, is we're referred to as the dawn. Um, uh, the Jewish people, the Knesset, the collective Jewish people are referred to as dawn. Because in our exile, our feet are so low in, in the depths of the Tumah. This is obviously a Kabbalistic concept of Klipot, the shells of the world, and I'm not sticking my head here. Rather, let's just understand it simply. The Jewish people are so entrenched in incorrect lifestyle, in the way that they're not supposed to be living. And when the Jewish people are able to step out of the quicksand, we can get out of this dirt until dawn rises, meaning until we're able to rise up as a people, only then is that the time where we could read Shema, Shehem Mashiach Veliyahu, and remember Shema is the Gematria 410, which brings about Mashiach Veliyahu, and says the Ben Yishchai that this is the third opinion. The third opinion that ultimately what will bring about the redemption is the Jewish people working hard on themselves. We have to get out of the lifestyle that we're in now. Only when we overcome what we're doing now, not learning just Torah, not splitting magical mems, now getting up out of our depths of destruction that we're in. That is what will unlock Shema. That is what will unlock the coming of Eliyahu, the coming of Mashiach. Those are the same numerical values as the word Shema. This is the Ben Ishchai. If you look at this Mishnah from a Kabbalist eyes, you see an old esoteric conversation surrounding which steps do the Jewish people take to unlock their redemption, to leave exile and go into whatever mode redemption is called. The purpose of tonight was not to introduce you to hardcore Kabbalistic concepts. The purpose of tonight was to show you that when we say that there are so many different angles, I think Rav Uziel was the one who described Agadah as like a prism of sorts. You can see it from so many different angles. None of them are right or wrong. They come to give you a three-dimensional picture of the Agadah itself. I think this is an example of that. Whereas until today, we were speaking about me'ematai, korin neshma ba'aravin, as purely a halachic conversation. The Ben Ishchai now brought us to a whole different world. Now the Ben Ishchai has introduced to us that maybe behind all of this language is a three-way argument regarding the exile and redemption of the Jewish people. And the Chachamim would never teach such secrets explicitly. Remember what the Rambam told us? Chachamim wished to hide these things from the masses. And because of that, they wrote them in code. And this goes along with that teaching of, whereas you think the Chachamim are dealing with Shema, the Chachamim are trying to tell you something so much greater than just what time of night are you able to start with Shema. And it could be that in our own we could answer, so why did Rabbi Udanasi start with this? Because he wants to start with redemption of exile before he talks about anything else. The whole purpose of the Torah is to get us out of exile, to refine our character, to bring us to the house of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the purpose of this Mishnah is to teach us those concepts, albeit through code. But the Ben Yishchai came along and in his own way unlocked at least one angle of that prism. So we can look at this Agadah entirely differently than the way we've been looking at it until today. Bezat Hashem, in the coming weeks we're going to be doing similar things to this piece of Agadah. And I want you to get beyond this mentality of why are we still on the same Mishnah? You're not still on the same Mishnah. 
The Mishnah that we studied for the last three weeks is not the same Mishnah we studied today. This Mishnah is a whole different Mishnah. This is a new Mishnah. Next week, we're going to do it again. We're going to bring about a new Mishnah. In the following week, a new Mishnah. Until we've exhausted, at least what we're capable of, of grasping, the ways to read this Mishnah, and only then can we move forward into the Talmud and take apart the rest of the Talmud the way that we have done today. And I want to just thank you for being with me on this journey. When we started this journey so many, so many weeks ago, uh, I really felt... This is, I told you then, it's uncharted territories. There's no book that guides me through Agadot. I can, there's no one place. My table is right now covered only in books of Agadah. Normally it's covered in halachic books. This time in books of Agadah. Because to get tonight Shi'u, to pull in all these pieces and all these gemarot, to even understand what the Ben Ishchai is talking about, it's blazing a trail. These are not trails that people have paved down the, the way for us. It's not halakha where we know where to go. And you being here and being patient with me and learning with me and thinking these things through with me, the follow-up emails and messages I get from you about these topics, those are what make this shi'u what it is. And I'm grateful for all of you for really knowing what, you're, what we're studying. You know the Mishnah well. I feel it. I hear it. I know it. And Bilal Hashem, I look forward to learning with you in this time, in this place, next week. And a Shabbat Shalom when it comes.